Welcome back to the Let's Call Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. We are continuing discussing Aqua War by Sarah J. Moss. So, by the way, I'm Caitlin. I'm Peyton. I'm Ariba. In case you didn't know our names, maybe you'll attach them to our voices and you'll know who's speaking. Maybe not, though. It's just me and Peyton getting an end of <laughs> the whole time, though. <laughs> and Reba's interjections. Yep. Yeah, basically. That's yeah. the Let's Call It Nothing podcast for you. Yep. What happened last time in Akawar? In Akawar? Yeah, the book we're reading. <laughs> I almost spit out my drink from no. that. Okay, so... Is it because I called it Akawar earlier? No. I was... I actually did that intentionally because you because you were talking about my pauses in the middle of sentences <laughs> because of my ADHD. So I wanted to like... I wanted to see if you caught it. <laughs> Y'all, I approached it very carefully. I said, this is something you probably cannot change. I just want to make you aware of it. (laughs) I am very aware of it. I've noticed it too, so it's fine. I have a real bad problem about not finishing a sentence because I get distracted somewhere in the middle of it and then come back to it and Caitlin then go knows all of our speaking faults. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because Caitlin's our editor, if you didn't know, which is really fancy. <laughs> so really fancy title I take for her. hours out of day. Editor, publisher. This. You really do. And you edit the podcast notes. So if this... I have to because I'm a control freak. That's <laughs> the only reason why. I mean, we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't see the hair flip, but <laughs> it was My brain there. went completely elsewhere. That's where the yeah came from. That was just me agreeing. Yeah. My brain went elsewhere. Don't ask me where. I forgot. <laughs> Hello. If you don't know, me and Caitlin have undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> I need a diagnosis. I need a diagnosis and too. Help. But I'm poor, so. Only medication. <laughs> yeah. Lots of therapy. I found That's for the other issues. I found out that. Uh, I've been self-medicating with a caffeine addiction for... Have you met me? 20... Same. Or 16 years. Well, not yeah. I'm talking about myself, not mm-hmm. you. Because yeah. that's what I do best. I have undiagnosed narcissism, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, honey, we all know about that one. Yeah. Um, you've had that one since third grade. <gasps> <laughs> we all know I love a mean girl, right? <laughs> Angelica from Rugrats was my hero as a little bitty kid. <laughs> yes. You know why specifically third grade? High school musical. Sharpay Evans. Sharpay Evans, yes, absolutely. An icon. She deserved better. That movie of hers, ugh. Everyone else was like, oh, um, Gabriella. No, not Caitlin, even at that age. She's like, I want to be Sharpay. The pick me. Gabriella is literally a pick me girl. Hello. Yes, but we were. Eight, we weren't supposed to pick up on that. But I always did. And then it translated later on whenever we read Twilight. And I was like, Bella, ew. Ew. Rosalie is horrible. I love her. <laughs> Jessica. <And> it, <laughs> Jessica? Vera. Eh. Nesta. Oh, my God. I love her. Love Nesta, y'all. Anytime I see a hate comment towards Nesta, I'm like, Ugh. and then I'm like, I understand. But... <laughs> How rude. <laughs> Offensive. Yeah. We can talk about all that <laughs> later, later on. My villain origin story. That's a different <laughs> topic for another day. I can't wait to get to the arc of <laughs> your redemption. I want your descent into madness and then your redemption story. <sighs> Have you? Uh, wait, wait when's, when is your stereotypical villain era? <laughs> she hasn't gotten there yet. Every day I feel one step closer. <laughs> Me too. Anyway, back, anyway. <laughs> back to a court of it always happens during our first se- recording session of the night. Yeah. We just... And we sat here and talked for like hours, but we still have to 
get we it all the bonus episode. Well, first. I mean, we meet once every three weeks, so yeah. <laughs> we have to update. <laughs> I told Kayla, and I was like, we probably need to do the bonus episode first, and she was like, no, I want to get this out of the way. Well, my thought was, you are going to fall asleep. That's also yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> During this, where we're reading, but if we are actively in conversation, mm-hmm. like we will be hopefully in the bonus episode, mm-hmm. then we won't have that worry, right? I don't think we'll have that problem, because... I didn't sleep last night, and so I slept all day today because I was alive to live. Really, I woke up to some strange noises at some strange hours. Hopefully, they were in my head. Well, my kitty cat was hurting, and I stayed up reading because she was hurting, and I didn't want to go to sleep if she was in pain. So, anyway, back seven minutes later (laughs) to the recap. Farah has ruined the spring court. Lucian followed Farah back to the night court to see Elaine. Nesta is still pissed off, but as a fae now. Elaine is going through some Reese is happy to have Farah back, but not happy about the war. Cassian seems to have a thing. A thing for Nesta. All caps. Thing. <laughs> Asriel is training Farah on how to fly with Illyrian wings. Morris, well doing more what more does best and amrin is tired of all the busybodies guarding her apartment who do you relate to most at this point amrin like <laughs> within the past couple weeks i'm an amrin yeah i think we all can relate to amrin all right chapter 20 Farah admitted to reese that she had never been in a library she amended that she had been to private libraries both in her old home growing up and in the spring court, but never a large one in town. Reese thought humans had libraries on the continent that anyone can go to. Farah said that those existed in one of the human territories. When she asked about the existence of libraries prior to the war, Reese explained that they were ran by cranky scholars who could find you tomes dating back thousands of years. Most humans were not allowed. This was because the books consisted of magic, and scholars feared humans having access to that. After the wall was built, most scholars winnowed the books out. Those that didn't burned the libraries to prevent humans from getting to those magical books. Is it bad I hate this cliche of the bad guy censoring books and the good guy is all for books? No, that's, I think of, I read that and I think of you. You think of me? (laughs) Yeah. Because you're so against, like, the censorship. Yeah, that's the problem is my favorite book is Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) And I hate, like, censorship of any book. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it. I probably have. I've read the Anarchist, or I own the Anarchist cookbook because the author wanted to censor it and pull it off the shelves because it was dangerous. But I was like, what if I need that information for, like, a book or something? Well, we've reached the times in which some of John Green's books are being banned. And I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, a lot of banned books you would look at and you'd be like, what? The Lorax is banned. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird's bad or banned. Yeah, we've talked about like banned books and stuff before. Mm-hmm. I don't remember specifically what episode or when. It's been a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was our like Flowers in the Attic yeah, the episode. Fl- I think yeah. the title has something about Flowers in the Attic in it, particularly young people with mm-hmm. banned books and why that's good, why that's bad, mm-hmm. that kind of topic. You need the tools and understand, hey, you know, the stuff in here, maybe you don't need to live by. Freaking history. Yeah. yeah. You learn in your history classes about all this shit, which, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at, but because there's a lot of stuff that we did not learn in our... Or um, a lot of stuff that was censored from yeah, us, yes. Because of where we live. But, I mean, just like giving people the tools to do with as they will, like... Just another way of controlling people. It is. Yeah. But yeah, I'm starting to see a cliche more and more with like books like this where, I don't know, it's almost like self-inserted characters. 
not in this, but in some cases where I've read books and they're like, yeah, they tried to burn these books, but I saved them mm-hmm. and I am all for it. And I'm like, really? It's just, it doesn't have as good of a pull as like Fahrenheit 451 does. I think the only time I super liked it because it's a big point of the book is the book thief. Oh yeah. Book yeah. thief is good. I love the book thief, but but those are more literature based books where these are like romance novels or something well, like yeah. that. With with very specific things like this, you gotta do it right. Yeah. And finding it in a romance book, maybe. It's just not my thing. Like if it's in a romance book, it's like, oh no, these bad people are trying to take away the books. What book but are I you like referring books. to? I don't I, I like books. I like books. <laughs> but I like books. <laughs> I can't think. It's like one of those really dumb Harlequin romance books, but I've, I've read it a couple times, and I don't know. I just don't like it. KU. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love KU. No, KU. Like, I've, I've had a few KU that are like that. I don't know. It wasn't this year, but a few in the past. All right. Back to our book. Vera argued that humans didn't have magic, so what value would they have in these texts? Reese explained that there were some humans who claimed to have fey ancestors. Also, sun spells don't require magic, but as noted, that's not where this conversation is going. Um, I just thought that would be interesting to point out mm-hmm. because we don't go any further into into that. It is never brought up again. <laughs> never. As far as I know, <laughs> never mm-hmm. brought up again. And I'm like, which with SJM, I've learned that like some things are just one off, but some things you're like, even if it's not in this series, mm-hmm. it could be in another series. Yeah. Because she has so many things planned, I feel. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out for her. It happens. Um, It may pop up in another series of hers. Mm-hmm. You never know. Favorite asked what happened to the half-fae, half-human descendants. Reese told her most were the products of non-consent, and they typically stayed with their human mothers to live at outca- as outcasts or to be killed. They were asked about the ones above the wall. And Reese said most resulted to selling themselves. When Feyre inquired about the ones living in Valeris at the time, Reese told her his father was ruling then, and when he became High Lord, it had been too late. Okay. Following this conversation, they arrived at the library where Reese introduced Feyre to a priestess named... How do you pronounce it? Clotho. Clotho? Okay. Yeah, just how you would think it is. I was gonna say Clotho. Clotho that's why. <laughs> they arrived at the library where Reese introduced Feyre to a priestess named Clotho. She didn't speak at all, but Reese seemed to be used to it. Okay, so I've read all these books so far, and um, I'm kind of upset that Clotho doesn't have her sisters with her, and I may obliterate these names, but Lachesis and Atropos. Probably because those are horrible names. Well, yeah, the, the way you said that makes sense. But, like, do you know where Clotho's from? Do you know who she is? Why are you expecting a yes <laughs> out of me? She's in the Hercules movie. <laughs> Bless my soul. No, she's not amused. Uh, Who's not amused? Yeah, you're right. Oh, one of the. Yeah, she's a fate. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> Did you? No, seriously, <laughs> I've looked that up before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Clotho, I think, is the one that spins. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that measures, which I'm guessing is Lachesis. And then the other one cuts, which is Atropos, I think. May be wrong on that. It'll be all right. It's not important to the story whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, it may. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, but yeah. Um, yeah. Lachesis is the the measurer. The measurer. And then Atropos is the cutter. The fates. But we only get one. But then we also have the weaver. But then again, we also have other things. 
Well, it's not a mythology retelling. It's not. She just, she takes things from fairy tales and like different mythologies and histories and I was stuff like, and she, puts yeah. them together. <laughs> yeah, she does. And then like some things you're like, so huh, I was going back and reading slash listening to older podcasts of ours this week and we're going to talk about something in this book that's our that was mentioned in the first book but wasn't actually mentioned they just tie in together fun fact because i have no idea what you're talking about i don't Don't either that just really confused me with the way you said it too we have mentioned it before we have mentioned it before (laughs) i got that part i I think she's shakespeare sometimes (laughs) she uses words I do. She uses them hard. I string them along <laughs> and they I string them along and they don't make sense. And they don't go where they're supposed to go. She's a modern day Yoda too. Well no, Shakespeare probably was that way too. He painted like twelve thousand sixteen thousand words. Pretentious though, like <laughs> was he there was a lot of fart Have you fart. seen something rotten? The musical. <laughs> the musical. Not the fact that he was making fart and dick jokes. Throughout the, his entire uh, screenwriting career. Yeah, screenplay career. That, yeah, that is a, a screen man. man. I make those jokes, too, so I don't know what to say about myself. Yeah. You make a lot of dick jokes? Well, no. <laughs> I think I she like, makes fart jokes. Fart jokes, I understand. All the time. But I was like, I've never heard you say a single dick joke in our entire friendship. They're just not good enough. <laughs> Shakespeare and I are not one the same, but you and him might be. <laughs> Back to it. I Back go. to our regularly scheduled programming. What if I want to go on a soliloquy? Okay. Okay. But you're not going to. Modern day woman Shakespeare. <laughs> I have it prepared. The house of wind. Ooh. See, what I remember about the library is from Silver Flames. Mm-hmm. It's just like where it comes from in my brain. And that is a whole other beast, literally. Feyre <laughs> <laughs> stated she didn't know that priestesses were allowed away from the temple. Reese explained how this library is a temple of sorts, and the priestesses who inhabit it were special. As quoted from the book, not a cavernous room in a manner, not even close. It was as if the base of the mountain had been hollowed out by some massive digging beast, leaving a pit descending into the dark heart of the world. Around that gaping hole, carved into the mountain itself, spiraled level after level of shelves and books and reading areas, leading into the inky black. From what I could see of the various levels as I drifted toward the carved stone railing overlooking the drop, the stack shot far into the mountain itself, like the spokes of a mighty wheel. And through it all, fluttering like moth's wings, the rustle of paper and parchment, silent and yet alive, awake and humming and restless, so many limbed beasts at constant work. I peered upward, finding more levels rising toward the house above and lurking far below. Darkness. I had to do it like that. Darkness. <laughs> What's at the bottom of the pit? I asked as Reese came up beside me, his shoulder brushing mine. I once dared Cassian to fly down and see. Reese braced his hands on the railing, gazing down into the gloom. We're getting there. Just keep going. And? And he came back up, faster than I've ever seen him fly, white as death. He never told me what he saw. The first few weeks, I thought it was a joke, just to pique my curiosity. But when I finally decided to see for myself a month later, he threatened to tie me to a chair. He said some things were better left unseen and undisturbed. It's been 200 years and he still won't tell me what he saw. If you even mention it, he goes pale and shaky and won't talk for a few hours. I... (laughs) Love this. <laughs> Just like, Cassie, this badass war general goes downstairs and comes back up and he's like, I no, see no, a no, monster. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> I've Reese, seen a monster. You don't want to know. Cassian being being absolutely terrified about this creature that lurks down at the pit of the library. Find like, it he won't say anything about it. He's just like, I will, the, I will never talk about that day. He's got the PTSD. Yeah, for reals. And the picture of being very dramatic, he's like, no, don't speak. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it, and we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Braxis. No, Bruno. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what's down there. They flirted for a bit while Clotho took them down to a reading room. I had to think about it. Every time I read the name, <laughs> I got to think about it. And when she left, Reese told Feyre about Clotho. She was abused by a group of males who cut out her tongue and smashed her hands so she couldn't tell anyone what had happened to her. They used their magic to heal her as they went along, so some of the issues were permanent. Mora had found her and brought her to Reese. And more than and went and sought justice for Clotho. They were asked if the other priestesses here were like this. Reese confirmed it before explaining how he created this place as a sanctuary for women who needed to heal. He explained that some cranky old scholars complained about being relocated to other libraries throughout the city. They were still allowed to retrieve books from this one, but it must be approved by the priestesses. Quoted from the book, Choice. It always been about my choice with him and for others as well long before he'd ever learned the hard way about it. The question must have been in my eyes because Reese added, I came here a great deal in those weeks after under the mountain. My throat tightened as I leaned in to brush a kiss to his cheek. Thank you for sharing this place with me. It belongs to you too now. And I knew he meant not just in terms of us being mates, but in the ways it belonged to the other females here who had endured and survived. I gave him a half smile. I suppose it's a miracle that I can even stand to be underground. But his features remained solemn, contemplative. It is, he added softly. I'm very proud of you. My eyes burned and I blinked as I faced the books. And I suppose, I said with great effort at light lightness, that it's a miracle I can actually read these things. Reese's answering smile was lovely and just a bit wicked. I believe my little lessons helped. Yes, Reese is the greatest lover a female can hope for is undoubtedly how I learned to read. I was only trying to tell you what you now know. They being cute. It ain't gonna stay cute for long, so we gotta... Take it as we will. All right, back to our notes. Reese does some sexy talk, but suddenly vanishes. Vera asked where he went, and he claimed she was too distracting. He had to get some work done. Both dug through some research about the wall's formation. They came back together to compare notes. Some information of which was new to Reese, who had been healing after the war while the treaty was being signed. One great thing was realized, though, through this research. The wall had never meant to be a permanent fix. Quoted from the book. No, initially, the wall had been a temporary solution to cleave human and fairy until peace settled long enough for them to later reconvene and decide how they were to live together as one people. But the wall had remained. Humans had grown old and died, and their children had forgotten the promises of their parents, their grandparents, their ancestors, and the high fae who survived. It was a new world without slaves. Lesser fairies stepped in to replace the missing free labor. Territory boundaries had been redrawn to accommodate those displaced. Such a great shift in the world in those initial centuries. So many working to move past war to heal that the wall, the wall became permanent. The wall became legend. All right, back to our, our notes. Feyre considered the possibility of winning the war against Hyvern. If they could gather all seven courts and the court of nightmares, would they stand a chance? Reese saw little optimism. Feyre offered the hypothetical of Reese and Hyvern going head to head, to which Reese explained the king's strengths. They still wouldn't stand much of a chance. Reese said, I'm willing to take the brunt of it if it means the others will at least stand with us against him. Bear argues that he shouldn't have to make that choice. The two get into a tiff about Reese willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. 
Ruthie and I need him as an option. Vera, I need you as an option in my future. Quoted from the book, you've given enough. Not enough. Not yet. It was hard to breathe, to see past the burning in my eyes. Why? Where does this come from, Reese? For once, he didn't answer. And there was something brittle enough in his expression, some long unhealed wound that glimmered there. And I sighed, rubbed my face, and then said, just work with me, with all of us, together. This isn't your burden alone. Um, just like hold on to that <laughs> throughout. <laughs> throughout. We're not shocked by this at all. No. But hold on to it because they were trying. Mm-hmm. She is trying. And she like forgives him for like the little stuff that he does throughout, especially this part that we're discussing in these next few episodes. Mm-hmm. Because there is that love there and everything, but he just he keeps on mentioning like if it comes down to it, I'm like because he's a self-sacrificing yeah, idiot. And she's <laughs> just like you think you're being like selfish, like or self-sacrifice or whatever. But like, what about me? Mm-hmm. I need you. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to like bear this weight and everything. Honestly, needing some help ain't bad. No, nope. which we all need to take into account. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Personal attack. Personal attack. <laughs> I did it myself. All right, back to the notes. Reese asked if she had a better idea. Favor considered all the books in the library. That led her to thinking about Amron and what she did with the book of breathings. Favor believed that they could have an advantage. Monsters, creatures from another world, something Hybron would never expect. And to begin, the bone carver. The bone carver. Okay, chapter 21. Reese went to ask Cassian to escort Feyre to the prison. They worried it would seem like they were planning something if the High Lord and his High Lady both went to see the bone carver. Meanwhile, Feyre checked in on Nesta and Amram. She was curious to see which one would be left standing after this first lesson. Feyre found them in an old workroom, staring at each other. She asked the two formidable women with glowing eyes what they were doing. Amron explained she was training Nesta on how to utilize her mental shields before going to Hewn City tomorrow. Feyre pondered Amron's technique, mentioning the prison. She asked if while there, Amron never spoke with others. All right, so... Vera's getting a bit better about being stealthy because she's not asking hypothetically speaking. <laughs> I thought we were to come to this. <laughs> I feel like they speak a lot in hypotheticals. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this time she didn't. This time she was just like, straight up. When you were in prison, you know, but Amarin doesn't know anything about their plan to go get the bone carver. Yes. Um, they're like, so, so, when you were in prison, how did you do this? And how did you do this? And Amarin's just like, go away, girl. <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> Busybody. <laughs> Busybody. Uh, Amarin said she only spoke to others through the rocks, thankfully. When Nesta asked about the prison, Amarin explained that it was basically hell, full of creatures they'd be thankful no longer walked freely. Amarin then complained that she was supposed to be teaching magic, not history. Girls, please. Vera told them goodbye, leaving them to their lesson. She wondered if it was good to expose the world to such a more formidable duo as Amron and Nesta. But then she smiled at the thought of unleashing them onto Hewn City. They're scary. Yeah, we they need are. scary. Vera mentally prepared herself for the monster she was going to face under two different mountains tomorrow. That night, she dreamed of Under the Mountain. In, the, in her dream, Nesta had taken Claire's place, having each and every wound that Claire did. Elaine was screaming behind her. She was naked and tied to a huge spit. Reese was being led away by Amarantha, his wings out. Aerith screamed, trying to move, but couldn't. She woke up, thrashing about. 
Reese urged her to breathe. He stayed with her, comforting her post-nightmare as she retched. She focused on her breathing, dismantling those memories and the nightmare created. Mayra swore Reese and her sisters would never have to go through something like that again. Once again, we have Reese comforting her after her nightmares. Mm-hmm. And Guess like- who never did? Tamlin. Tampon. Also, I like how she's continuing, like, you know, all this stuff has been drugged uh-huh. up. So now she's having another nightmare, even though it's been months. And she has healed. But, mm-hmm. like, those wounds are still going to be there. Yeah. PTSD. Like yeah, that's mm-hmm. part of it. Chapter 22. The next day, Farrah noticed Reese's attention on her, but he didn't press the issue. When he finally asked if she wanted to talk about it, she explained the details of the dreams. She found comfort in speaking about it. Then, Reese kissed her and reassured her nothing like that would happen. Cassian walked in, grossed out by the kissing. He's like, Uh, ew! He's like, get a room, guys. As Cassian and Farah ready to, to leave for the prison, Reese explained that the bond wouldn't work in the prison because of some old magic. He insisted Cassian and Farah stay with each other. Reese briefly mentioned the creature Cassian put in the prison. As the two began to venture, they discussed the bone kava. The bone kava. The bone kava. I don't know. I always get British when it comes to the bone kava. The bone kava. The bone kava. <laughs> There's something I do that with. I can't remember what it was. Is it the atoll? No. But that atoll. also yeah, The way that it is pronounced atoll. does make me think that. The bone carvers. It's hard to say it in my regular accent now. <laughs> bone carvers. Cell door swung open the moment I laid my palm to it. I'm reading by the from the book, by the way. <laughs> she only read one sentence from the book. It wasn't good. <laughs> I had to repeat the first three words twenty times. I'm reading from the book, guys. Take fifty-seven. The bone carver's cell door swung open the moment I laid my palm to it. The orb of Faylight bobbed ahead, illuminating the stone-hewn cell. Cassian growled at what it revealed, who it revealed. Wholly different, no doubt, from the same young boy who now smiled at me. Dark-haired, with eyes of crushing blue, I started at the child's face. What I had not noticed that first time, what I had not understood, it was Reeson's face. The coloring, the eyes, it was my mate's face. But the carver's full, wide mouth curled into that hideous smile. That was my mouth, my father's mouth. The hair on my arms arose. The carver inclined his head in greeting, in greeting and in confirmation, as if he knew precisely what I realized, who I had seen and was still seeing, the High Lord's son, my son, our son. Should we survive long enough to bear him? Should I not fail in my task to recruit the carver? Should we not fail to unify the High Lords and the Court of Nightmares and keep that wall intact? It's n- It's n- We can't say his name on this. <laughs> Back whenever we were doing Aquamath mm-hmm. and we got to the Bone Carver and I was like, well, according to the fandom, <laughs> I don't even think I said that it was in this book because I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. But I was like, people think it's their son. <laughs> I think I said that on the podcast. Yeah. My initial time reading this in the last book, I thought that it was Reese as a kid. 
Yeah. So I think you said that too. You did say that. Yeah, I did. I didn't remember if I did or didn't. Um. So yeah, I was happy, happily surprised, and I was like, oh, cool, it's their son. I'm glad I was kind of uh-huh. right on that. Obviously, Fair didn't catch on at the time because she didn't know her and Maurice were uh, a thing. A thing. Mates. <laughs> she kept calling him the beautiful boy. The beautiful boy. My beautiful boy. But at least she thinks her kid's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it would really suck if she was like, that is the ugliest child I've ever the seen. The ugliest kid ever. <laughs> yeah. And then she's she like, realizes who it is and she's like, oh, I guess they're kind of cute. <laughs> I guess I could love them. <laughs> That's some Quasimodo <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> I can find it in my heart. Just a little bit of love. Hunchback and squinty eye and all. Lazy squinty eye at that. Okay. I smelled my sister on you, curse breaker, the carver said. My mouth went dry. His sister. Did you steal from her? Did she weave a thread of your life into her loom? Okay, so we got two Clothos in the in the fandom. What? No, we got one. That's what I'm talking about. I said, no, we got one. And you're like, yeah, I know. That's what I said. <laughs> like, we have one named Clotho and one that's actually got her job. There we go. <laughs> one <Me> name. <laughs> one name. <laughs> anyway. There are two different divergences going on there. <laughs> they are divergent, all right? <laughs> the Weaver of the Wood. My heart thundered. No breathing could steady it. Cassian's hand tightened around mine. The carver purred to Cassian. If I tell you a secret, warrior heart, what will you give me? Neither of us spoke. Carefully, we'd have to phrase and do this so carefully. The carver stroked the shard of bone in his palms, attention fixed upon the stone-faced Cassian. What if I tell you... What the rock and darkness and sea beyond whispered to me, the lord of bloodshed. How they shuddered in fear on that island across the sea. How they trembled when she emerged. She took something, something precious. She ripped it out with her teeth. Cassian's golden face had drained of color, his wings tucking in tight. What did you wake that day in Highburn, Prince of Bastards? My blood went cold. What came out was not what went in. A rasping laugh as the carver laid the shard of bone on the ground beside him. How lovely she is, new as a fawn and yet ancient as the sea. How she calls to you a queen as my sister once was, terrible and proud, beautiful as a winter sunrise. Reese had warned me of the inmate's capacity to lie, to sell anything, to get free. Nesta, the bone carver murmured. Nesta. I squeezed Cassian's hand. Enough. It was enough of this teasing and taunting. But he didn't look at me. How the wind moans her name. Can you hear it too? Nesta, Nesta, Nesta. Nesta. That's probably how it's supposed to be. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I wasn't sure Cassian was breathing. What did she do, drowning in that ageless dark? What did she take? It was the bite in the last word that snapped my tether of restraint. If you wish to find out, perhaps you should stop talking long enough for us to explain. My voice seemed to shake Cassian free of whatever trance he'd been in. His breathing surged, tight and fast, and he scanned my face, apology in his eyes. The carver chuckled. I so rarely get company these days. (laughs) Forgive me for wanting to make idle talk. (laughs) He crossed an ankle over a foot. And why have you been sought? Why have you sought my services? <laughs> what brought you here? <laughs> we attained the book of breathings, I said casually. 
There are interesting spells inside. Codes within codes within codes. Someone we know cracked most of them. She's still looking for others. Spells that could send someone like her home. Others like her too. The carver's violet eyes flared bright as flame. I'm listening. Dun, dun, dun. The carver's <laughs> given me like energy of a different character. And I can't think of who it is. Well, he goes like back and forth so much. Like I had like 50 different accents in my head at once. <laughs> I don't know if they were coming out all as I, I was reading. picture a cute little kid doing this though. Yeah. Because that would be creepy. Oh, that's what it's supposed to be, is creepy. I know, but I don't like creepy, so I don't picture it. It's giving me young Tom Riddle vibes. Ooh, yeah. I'll talk about it in a minute. Get to reading, lassie. Okay. Chapter 23. Favor told the bone carver that they needed his services for the war. The bone carver explained he didn't want out of his cell, and the world he used to belong to was probably no more than dust. He went on, saying his sister and brother, Koshay, were both death gods, and he would rather them not remember he existed. Getting nowhere with the bone carver, Cassian tells Feyre they need to leave to go to Hewn City. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but I referenced Koshay the Deathless earlier, and then he pops up in this book, and then we're going to get down a little bit further, and another thing pops up, so go on. And the interjection was so unnecessary. <laughs> it definitely was, but... This piqued the bone carver's interest, and he realized there was something he wanted. I know, because Peyton- it's piqued my interest. No, because Pey- Peyton spelled it P E A K E D, and I'll, and it, like it corrected it on the dot. Because I was oh. like, I was like, that is right. There's a Q. I just misspelled considerably. I think we just thought it was, it was P E A. Yeah, I definitely did. We're not English majors here, okay? Sometimes I feel stupid texting my boyfriend because I don't ever use punctuation or proper sentence structures or anything. What? You, you? You? <laughs> me? Yeah, me. I was like, don't don't we text how we speak? <laughs> oh no, Kayla knows because she's had to be my editor since we started this thing. It's a hot mess. Suddenly, you're right. More concisely. <laughs> No, I. <laughs> it's Caitlin. It's always Caitlin. Cause to the book, my sister had a collection of mirrors in her black castle. The carver said. We halted once more. She admired herself day and night in those mirrors, gloating over her youth and beauty. There was one mirror, the Ouroboros, she called it. It was old, even when we were young. A window to the world. All could be seen. All could be told through its dark surface. Kira possesses it. An heirloom of his household. Bring it to me. That is my price. The Ouroboros, and I am yours to wield. If you can find a way to free me. A hateful smile. I exchanged a glance with Cassian, and we both shrugged at the carver. We'll see, was all I said before we walked out. Okay. I don't think she said it like that. No, but I thought it was- <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> like, we'll see. <laughs> Not only is Ouroboros literally in everything, everything. It is the first everything. time I read this, I had read it in one other book and had watched it on like two different TV shows that mm-hmm. mention it. Yeah. Do you want to know what it is? It's also, I've seen it in wedding ceremonies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, people are like, the ring represents... Okay, so an Ouroboros is a serpent eating its own tail or a dragon. If you remember from the Akotar 
section of this podcast, which my two co-hosts do not remember. <laughs> the Middengard worm is also a form of the world wars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm searching for the memory and it's not there. It's not there. I didn't think it was. Very glad I've made it this far with this series. Yeah. Um, it's either a serpent or a dragon. Eats itself. It's supposed to be like the continuation of life, like infinity, beginning and end. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what thing I've watched or read that that's most prominent in. I cannot think of it. Thor. No. Is it not Not Thor? for me. It's Norse mythology, so I just made a shot in the dark. <laughs> I've never seen Thor. <laughs> Loki did have a hand in it, so I might as well just... It's in a lot of stuff. It's in Hemlock Grove. I'm sure I it's in... I watched Ri- some of that. Maybe it's that. Um, I think it's in Riverdale at some point, but... Who? Oh, dear God, probably. <laughs> Riverdale, it's, mm. Riverdale's a hot mess. There's um, a reason I didn't watch past season one. I, exactly. Yeah, me too. It wasn't good <laughs> Me too. Me too. I find it weird how they call this object mm-hmm. the Ouroboros. I can't say word. <laughs> Ouroboros. Ouroboros. I don't know if we're saying it right either. <laughs> I say it differently every single time. But like, why call it that? Because it shows the beginning and the end. I think it says it in there like it goes... <laughs> It's in the book, Kaylin. Cheese. <laughs> we know you skim a lot, but <laughs> I'm trying. I'll get into it when when we see Ouroboros the mirror. Um, you see it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a big part of the story. Um, you know, this is a Snow White retelling. <gasps> I y'all, I have read this before. <laughs> it's been two years, but I have read this. <laughs> Did you know it was a Snow White That's retelling? Me. Oh, I paused and listened to how they pronounce this word. I said it really good that time. You y'all. really did. I'm very Ouro proud of Boros, I guess. Ouroboros. It's because we're Southern in it. It makes them want to say Aurora Borealis. <laughs> Aurora Borealis, yeah. Well, I think it's just because we sound like we got molasses in our mouth at 24-7. Yeah, have it in my nose. Ew. At Northern accent. Ouroboros. Ouroboros. It's also how it's spelled because sometimes it's spelled without the O in the front. Ouroboros. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, this is a Snow White retelling. Yeah, you mentioned that. We discovered that, but I'm saying the first time I read this, I didn't know. I didn't know either. It did not click that there was a poison apple and how an enchanted mirror that we got to locate. And there's seven high lords that are in place of the dwarves, which I honestly... I just don't like Snow White, I think. I honestly think that's probably the best move. In two ways. In two ways. Vera and Cassian discuss death gods. Cassian had presumed the bone carver was one due to how he carved deaths into bones. They assumed Cassian's reasons for wanting to come here to the prison. Both she and Cassian had seen the glimmer in Nesta's eyes, like calls to like, Vera mentioned. Cassian said he wanted to help Nesta. Quoted from the book, Would you be frightened of her if Nesta was death or if her power came from it? Cassian was quiet for a long moment. He said at last, I'm a warrior. I've walked beside death my entire life. I would be more afraid for her to have that power, but not afraid of her. He considered and added after heartbeat, nothing about Nesta could frighten me. I just said, sorry, this is my first time reading Echo War after Silver Flames, and I'm finally getting that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, there's a lot throughout this book mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, well, that. That's why that happened in Silver Flames. Yeah. Because, you know, there's nothing connection the first time you read something. Mm -hmm. If you're me. Normal people, I don't know. The point about Nesta and death is a huge thing later on. Mm -hmm. And then also just like Cassie being like, 
I'm not scared of her, but I am scared for her. Yeah. And it's literally almost the only plot of Silver Flames. Uh-huh. The rest of it is... Sorry. Smut. I'm not shocked by that. It's 800 pages of Smut it. Smut and depression. Smut, depression, and a whole lot of plot that makes no f***ing sense and just plot holes. We'll get into it. It's it my cup of tea. Why is that 800 pages? <laughs> I'm asking that question, they too. They flew by. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> if you're just looking for the smut, they fly by. <laughs> I'm going to get into it later, but there was one point of Silver Flames that I read and I was like, I was typing up notes for this and I was like, wait a minute, they never solved this plot line. Like it just, they had a little thread. It never went anywhere. I'm sure I'll come up with something for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> the smile the that went with is, that. there's more books, so it could be setting up for something else mm-hmm. or something in the Crescent City series. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who the f- knows? SJM knows. She gonna knows. I was like, that's the only person. Yeah. Anyways. Once they arrived back to Reese, Cassian mentioned the bone carver's wishes. Cassian muttered to Reese, you better bring your bargaining skills tonight. Also, before we get started on the next chapter, I'm glad that you're reading the next chapter, especially because of the very first point that it says. I wrote that. <laughs> she wrote that. I know. I, I added a onto this chapter. I am not shocked it that Peyton's the one wrote it, but I find it funny that you're the one going to be reading it. Because before y'all <laughs> it was read super these books, short. I was like, uh, Elaine. <laughs> so, we're on chapter 24. Uh, Elaine. <laughs> That's how we would begin this. <laughs> they were attempted to fly from the townhouse where casting the Azrael were pulling sticks to the House of Wind. She needed to see her sisters. When she arrived... Elaine wasn't acting any better, but at least she left the room. They were found both her and Nesta in the family library. Elaine sat staring out the window mindlessly, as she does. Nesta questioned where was Farah's menagerie of friends. I just like that line. <laughs> they do seem a bit like a zoo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Farah merely retorted that those friends have been nothing but kind. Farah asked Elaine what she was looking at. Elaine explained that her vision worked so effortlessly now. She could see all the way to the sea, and her hearing, it had heightened tremendously. She could hear everyone's heartbeat, even as they slept. Vera insisted that they would learn to drown out the sound. Elaine had lost all life. She rambled nonsensically about her old garden and a bird of fire. Vera noticed a glimpse of pain on Nesta's face before it vanished covered by the infamous mask. The two walked far enough away to still keep an eye on their sister and also talk. They were a question how Nesta got Elaine to leave her room. Nesta explained that she left herself, just appearing here. She still hadn't eaten anything and was talking nonsense all day. They worried briefly over a potential trigger causing Elaine's new quirks, but Farrah decided it may just be part of Elaine's recovery. Nesta asked if Elaine possibly had powers like her own. Farrah thought about how still no one knew the extent of Nesta's powers, but she insisted they give Elaine a few days to see if she was improving. Then Farrah asked why Nesta refused to train with Cassian. Nesta asked if she just couldn't train with the other, aka Asriel, or the blonde one who won't shut up, a.k.a. More. more. Nesta claimed she didn't need physical strength. She could use it in another way. They were argued that if Nesta wanted their enemies dead so badly, why couldn't she train and do it herself? Nesta said, why bother when someone else can do it for me? Y'all, this is me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we it didn't is. Already know. 
me pretending like I'm bad at everything so other people do it. Right then, the library doors open. Lucian appeared, eyes on Elaine, shocked that she finally left her room. He asked if there was anything she needed. Then, Vera dove into his thoughts. This part, I was so confused reading. First off, it's all in italics. And you know, Caitlin can't read italics. I can't. Nothing. I don't know what it is. I think it's the ADHD where I just, I cannot. It, it hurts and I don't comprehend anything. And also, like, it's first person Lucian where he's like, oh, like, he's thinking about Elaine in this first person way. But then it jumps to, like, this third person mm-hmm. type thing where I, I was just like, that's so weird. I was like, is he thinking about himself in both ways? But then I figured out it's the Feyre. first person is Lucian and the third person is Feyre. Reading. But I was like, why is her narrative third person? No, why is it? Because it's third person because she is third person Lucianing. Uh huh. But I was like, why is her part in italics? Because usually italics are like inner thoughts, mm-hmm. like thoughts. Yeah. I was like, why are her thoughts just. Or, like, her noticing Lucian, like, the actions inside. She, and even, like, their dialogue. Mm-hmm. Why is that just a regular print? Like, you, why not? Do you think the editor just missed that? No, I think it was written like that. I just hate it. Okay. It bugged me. Because I was so confused. I was like, what's happening? But maybe that's just me. It definitely is. He worried incessantly over Elaine's state. He compared her to Jasminda. And then he felt rotten for doing so. He attempted to share tea and biscuits with her. Um, this part had me thinking about the mating thing and accepting food. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, I see your game, sir. Mm-hmm. And Elaine is not having it. No. Then Elaine finally acknowledged him, asking who he was. Lucian gave his name and title, a title of which meant next to nothing now. Elaine remembered him from Ferris stories. She also remembered him being in Highburn and selling them out. He admitted to his vast mistake. Elaine mentioned her former betrothed, to which Lucian internally seethed. Elaine claimed to hear Lucian's heartbeat, even as he slept. She asked if he heard hers. He said no, he didn't. Her body her body shrunk into itself as she said, No one ever does. No one ever looked. Not really. I found this line wild. Because it's kind of like, oh, no one ever saw me. Yeah. Like, that's how it sounds. And I'm like, Elaine, everyone, like, fawns over you all the time. Yeah. Do you not notice? I'm like, are we adding just, like, a hint of character? I don't think so. No? I think she's too vapid and shallow to realize that everybody fawns over her. <laughs> Maybe. Vera pulled herself from Lucian's thoughts. Nesta told Lucian to get out. Lucian insisted Elaine needed fresh air, to which Nesta said that she and Vera would determine what Elaine needed. He merely suggested they get her out of the house. They were told Nesta that she and Elaine would be moving to the townhouse now. Later, they flew to the townhouse. Casting and Asriel helped, along with Reese. Asriel ended up carrying Elaine, and Nesta refused Cassian, leaving her to Reese and Lucian to Cassian. <laughs> they were attempted once again to fly, but she had to winnow herself most of the way. This is a thing with Farrah, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> she just keeps on falling. Like the whole thing. If I wrote down every single time that <laughs> oh, that she gets hit with a tree or something. <laughs> she gets hit with a tree or she hits a tree. She hits a tree. Well, apparently they pop up out of nowhere according to according her. According to her, yeah. <laughs> that line was literally me, though. I'm like, has that tree always been there? <laughs> Once they arrived, Asriel offered to take Elaine to tour the garden. Reese came in with Nesta, who was green, and ran to the toilet to puke. <laughs> After 
there, right? He said she complained about him being too slow, so he just picked up the pace a little bit. Cassian and Lucian didn't even glance at each other. <laughs> like, hey, bro. Um, hey. That was awkward. Yeah. You mean Asriel and Lucian? It's Cassian because Elaine rode with oh, Asriel because Nestor gotcha. refused. Gotcha. Lucian, however, looked furiously in the direction of Asriel and Elaine. Reese says to Lucian, relax. Asriel isn't the ravishing type. Y'all, it's canon for me. I beg to differ. I beg to differ, Out too. Out of all the Bat Boys, we know Asriel it gets down. Yeah. I'm putting that one out there. Okay, so I read the bonus chapter mm-hmm. that you showed me. Mm-hmm. It's almost character assassination at this point. <laughs> Because every, everybody's like, no, Asriel's so sweet. And he's like, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but he acts kind of entitled to someone's affections. That is not the I case. I love it, though, because this, like, sweet boy thing, we know I don't care for. <laughs> Give him something, whether that's what he did in the bonus chapter or the fact that he's got game in the bedroom. Give him something. <laughs> I need it, Asriel. But I thought that line was funny because I was like, Reese, I beg to differ. How do you know? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. Reese, how do you know? How do you know? Ferris should have questioned it a bit more. They do talk about him being <laughs> a pretty boy. What's a hookup between bros? <laughs> they did talk about him being a pretty boy quite often so and the girlies talk about their wingspans so yeah we all know that Azrael has the biggest <laughs> after nesta exited cassian attempted to distract her she gave him a molten glare lucian peered at her asking what she was this kind of came out of the blue he's just like what are you <laughs> nesta claimed she simply made the cauldron give her something back after she left the room they pondered what she might have taken they reclaimed it to be death. Reese said, only Nesta would not just conquer death, but pillage it. A while later, Vera peeped outside at Asriel and Elaine sitting together. Vera complained, why couldn't Elaine and Asriel be mates? Reese suggested that she keep this notion from Lucian. She went on to ask who or what even decided mates. First, Reese teased her, but she continued with the truth about Reese and Tamlin's parents being wrong for, for each other. Surely the system wasn't perfect. She insisted that Elaine needed free will. This is quoted from the book. A mating bond can be rejected, Reese said. There is choice, and sometimes, yes, the bond picks poorly. Sometimes the bond is nothing more than some preordained guesswork at who will, be the, who will provide the strongest offspring. At its basis level, it's perhaps only that, some natural function of an indication of true paired souls. You read that and immediately went, the weakest link. <laughs> uh-huh. Even so, there will always be a tug. For the females, it's usually easier to ignore, but the males, it can drive them mad. It is their burden to fight through, but some believe they are entitled to the female. Even after the bond is rejected, they see her as belonging to them. Sometimes they return to challenge the male she chooses for herself. Sometimes it ends in death. It is savage and it is ugly and it mercifully doesn't happen often, but many mated pairs will try to make it work, believing the cauldron selected them for a reason. Only years later will they realize that perhaps the pairing was not ideal in spirit. And then we got Feyre talking. So you're saying that she could walk away and Lucia would have free reign to kill whoever she wishes to be with. Reese, again, not free reign, but... Not in my lands. It has been illegal in our territory for a long, long time for males to do that, even before I was born. Other courts, no. On the continent, there are territories that believe females literally belong to their mates, but not here. Elaine would have our full protection if she rejects the bond. 
but it will still be a bond, however weakened, that will trail her for the rest of her existence. Okay, can we talk about something real quick? That's why we're here. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it just occurred to me. So, Reese's dad was an asshole, correct? Yes. And he was terrible. Uh Uh-huh. But why did he always have these, like, profound, like, great things? Yeah, like, he didn't change anything to fit his... Asshole ways? Asshole ways. (laughs) He sided with the humans in the war... Even assholes has some redeemable qualities, I guess. I mean, I guess. I just find it interesting. Maybe he's just the asshole in his personal life. And yeah. when he's actually, yeah. you know, ruling. <laughs> Morals are different. Kara <laughs> asked if he thought Lucian and Elaine would be a good pair or were a good pair. Reese said that she knew both of them better. Vera apparently just ships Elaine and Asriel together. And y'all, I try so hard to see it. I do because I feel like it, it should work. Uh-huh. It should. And I understand people, weak-minded people, who wouldn't weak. believe it worked. Dang. I understand people who wouldn't believe it worked. But it bores me to death. And I hate it. I want nothing to do with it. But, like, their cute little moment in the garden, I'm like, I wish I could root for you. Yeah. But I can't. There's no drama. Because we don't like Elaine. <laughs> exactly. Reese insisted she not play matchmaker, and Vera claimed that she would never meddle. Mm-hmm. I love how we've had two parts where Ferris like talking about like the relationships of yeah. the inner circle, and Reese is like, "Do not get involved. <laughs> Do not get involved." She's and she's like, like, "I won't. I won't. I'm just going to talk about it." I feel like he's speaking from experience. <laughs> I feel like he thinks she's still a. What, 19 year, 20 year old girl? Yeah. He's like, she's 20 years old. Um, she's also the girl who was like, so where were you under the mound? <laughs> yeah. She loves to just put her nose in everyone's business, which yeah. I relate to. And so. because she's the main character, everybody allows her to be in their business. Yeah. Well, Nesta. Nesta. But she remembered delving into Lucian's mind today to see his intent with her sister. Guilt overcame her, and she considered telling him. Reese told her that she could say it was the last time she'd do so and just be done with it. He says, agonizing over it won't change a thing. You realized it was a line you didn't like Christ crossing, and so you won't make that mistake again. They both finish getting ready, placing their night court crowns on their heads. Ready to be wicked? Reese asked. All dressed up to go, Vera turned to him saying, this time I get to make Kira beg. Don't, don't, don't. I love this scene though, because they like, aren't they looking in a mirror or whatever? And they're like side yeah, like by he's, side he's, with their no, crowns on. He braided her hair, like helped her braid her hair. Like oh. she's sitting in the mirror and he's like behind her, like I'm guessing with yeah. his hands on her shoulders. So. Lean forward. Yeah. Both looking. They got their crowns on. You should see me in a crown. Yeah, this was. I really <laughs> like that scene. I really like this chapter, honestly. Mm-hmm. Chapter this last chapter, twenty four. Yeah, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. But yeah, we're gonna go to the court of nightmares and <laughs> yeah, about to say do some shit. Someone's gonna <laughs> something up. Don't don't don't. Like all of his relationships with everyone. <laughs> we'll just yeah. stop there. There's there's things that will be said later. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> I think that wraps it up for today. We got nothing else to say. Nope. I think we said enough. Mm-hmm. A little too much. Honestly, yeah, probably. (laughs) So, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Let's Call Nothing Pod. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye. Bye. She got bangs and then she just became a different woman. You or her?